The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Oh, it's Monday. It's Jay. It's Keith. We're talking a lot of SoCon hoops, men's and women's. ETSU men's basketball as they played over the weekend. The women did not. But the women do have a couple of big games coming up on Thursday and Saturday. The men on the road Wednesday. They are at home on Saturday. That will be the doubleheader, 1 o'clock for the women, 4 o'clock on the men. That will be at Freedom Hall. One ticket gets you both games. So a lot going on. Keith, there was a lot of uh, basketball. There was also a national championship football game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that or not. There was, and, and and I do want to circle back on something that you said. Yep. Uh, in the last edition of the show that we did late last week, that the only thing that would surprise you is a South Dakota State blowout. Well, Jay, uh, a color you surprised. The Jackrabbits ran all over North Dakota State. And Mark Gronowski was phenomenal en route to a lopsided win for SDSU's first national championship as a program. I will say, because I did watch it, that I was not surprised while watching. Because it was a dominant performance as you can have in a championship game where you're playing a top-tier team, a rival team, a team in which you had a two-point win. Now, granted, it was on the road, come from behind. In the regular season, game plan was great, hitting on all cylinders. They literally could do no wrong, and if they did, it was not a lot. Mm. And so after watching it, I'm going to stand corrected because I am not shocked that they were the best team in America after watching. And, again, I watched the Montana State semifinal game, which I thought was impressive, but then was blown out of the water by what they did to the big dog. I still stand by. I am a firm believer to get the mantle. You have to earn it and beating them. And to even beat though the man, were, you got to beat the man. Yes, Even Rick though Flair, yes. they were favored and everything looked like it was going to be SDSU, I just don't believe it until I see a team get over that hump in a championship game because NDSU has just been to too many of them. And I know that they were banged up a little bit. I got to be honest, after watching that, give North Dakota State two or three extra players, I don't know that it mattered in that game. No. They are on that day because SDSU was was ready to take the man on run with it, and that they did. Uh, it's almost like when you build your entire identity over obsessively trying to beat one particular program and you end up playing that program in the national championship game. You just it pays off in a big way for you. This I mean that's really I mean not to undercut it, but South Dakota State is way more obsessed with beating North Dakota State than North Dakota State is with beating South Dakota State. This was the game that North Dakota State is interested in at the end of every year. This is the game they always talk about is you know, you win the rock, you win the rock, cool, whatever. We're going to Texas, we're gonna win a ring. South Dakota State got the Bison in Frisco, and they showed that that was all the motivation that they needed to play their cleanest and best game of the season. Um, 
the group that group was phenomenal. The Yankee Twins are already back at wide receiver for next year. They announced that they are returning for another season. Uh, they've got a couple of offensive linemen that are going to use their COVID year. So uh, SDSU is going to be right back square in the mix again in 2023. And this Jackrabbits team has finally gotten over the hump to where we can say this this rivalry is now a national championship rivalry because both of these teams have won titles in the last decade. That's I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the Jackrabbits got one. I'm glad they got one because otherwise, and, and I'm glad they beat the Bison to do it because otherwise there's always that what if, right? I wrote a piece when I worked at, North, when I covered NDSU, I wrote a piece for Bison Report called The Stig and the High Castle. Stig is short for John Stigglemeyer. Where you are you familiar with the Man in the High Castle? Yes, I actually did watch that series. I'm yes. familiar with. Yeah, it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's based on the book, right? Where the you know the Axis won World War II, um, and there's a parallel universe where the Allies won World War II, and so kind of in that that same vein, North Dakota State's the dominant power. There's a parallel universe where South Dakota State is the dominant power, where they are the ones that you know got all the injury luck and uh, just played their most focused football at the end of the year, uh, did all of those things, and they're the ones that have won multiple national championships. And um, always having that wonder of what happens if the Jacks win a title, um, having the opportunity to really find out what happens when SDSU wins a national championship, uh, I think is exciting. I think it's good for that program. I think ultimately it's good for the level. Um, but boy, they're never going to hear the end of it in Fargo. And it, to put it in perspective, it's like um, one of my favorite quotes, which was, you know, Mike Hart talking about little brother Michigan State. Michigan State's big game is Michigan, but Michigan's big game is Ohio State, right? That's Sure. Memphis and Vanderbilt want to beat Tennessee more than anything on the planet, but Tennessee doesn't really care about Vanderbilt or Memphis. Mm-hmm. And you can tell by the way Vanderbilt treated it when James Franklin was able to get a few wins or Penny Hardaway's threatening to fight Rick Barnes after they lose in basketball. <laughs> I mean, it just – and Rick Barnes is like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Like, that that's sort of the equivalent to, to put it into some fans' perspective that, that maybe still don't understand – what you're talking about with NDSU and SDSU. NDSU is about, worried about national championships, and they had beaten SDSU so many times in a row that they weren't really – and even if they lost to them, they weren't concerned about it because they were still winning national championships. Right, and That's they, what they still – now they've lost four in a row to South Dakota State. Yeah, now it's a big deal. Now, now the attention can't be, well, we don't really care about that. Now the attention will turn and flip, and NDSU, the big question will be, why can't you beat SDSU, right? right. Because and and I think that's logical. That's how it goes. And for a while there, you know, Vandy did have like a three game winning streak at Tennessee, and then Tennessee, why can't you beat Vanderbilt? Now yep. it's kind of turned. Let's be honest. I don't know that Vandy's going to be competitive in the next five or six years to even compete with Tennessee. Mm. So I, I think you know, or basketball, Memphis is still trying to catch. Tennessee for the state supremacies in which Tennessee, again, could care less. I mean, they're just not as concerned about that as everything else. So, Um, uh, Analyst FCS Top 25, uh, final uh, edition of the year is out. Obviously, the Jackrabbits are the unanimous number one team. North Dakota State number two. Then Incarnate Word, Montana State, Sac State, Holy Cross sixth. Good for that group. I was a big fan of the Crusaders from the beginning of the year. I thought that was a really good team. 
and uh, they I think they showed it this year. Samford finishes seventh. Uh, then Bill and Mary, Weber State, Furman is tenth. And scrolling all the way down, you get to um, Chattanooga twenty third and Mercer twenty fourth. And that's it for the SoCon. Uh, also receiving vote. Gardner Webb was the first team out of the poll. And I'm looking. I don't think there were any other SoCon teams. So four SoCon teams. I was going to say two in the top ten. The good news is Southern Conference teams had four teams ranked. You would assume that they will have at least three in the preseason going forward. Now, I don't, we'll see how it all shakes out. But two for sure, probably three. They got four. I'm going to do a backflip because that would be some sort of respect to the SoCon that hasn't been shown in quite some time and shows that at least right now the league is being seen on, on the up, if you will, as opposed to maybe on the down. Well, we've talked about this before. James Madison's reclassifying. Jacksonville State's reclassifying. Uh, Sam Houston's reclassifying. There's a little bit of a power vacuum. If you go from D.C. to Dallas, there is a power vacuum in FCS football. Kennesaw and State's moving up. Kennesaw State's moving up as well. The The Southern Conference is perhaps the league best positioned to take advantage of that. And that's kind of why I want the league to expand is... This is a competition. You are in competition with the other conferences. You have the upper hand. Put your foot on the throat and and go for this. Go get a couple of teams that can make that are additive to your league and they are out there or at the very least that undercut rival conferences so that you continue to have a position of primacy in the region. I think it's extremely important that the SoCon is forward thinking in what the future holds because now you're going to look at a situation where the NCAA's revenue distribution landscape is changing. Before, it and currently, it's all about men's basketball, right? Football, you're on your own. It's whatever you make off of football, you're on your own. Men's basketball is the primary revenue distribution vehicle for the NCAA, and they distribute millions upon millions upon millions of dollars every year to the conferences via the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Um, the other championships are sold to ESPN in a package for pennies on the dollar. That is about to change. There has been momentum ever since the gender equity report that came out from the 2021 NCAA women's tournament. There was a complete mess in, in San Antonio where their weight room was a rack of weights and a stack of yoga mats, uh, which was, yeah, uh, we don't need to get into it. It makes me angry. But part of that, the recommendations of that report is sell the women's basketball tournament as its own entity, as a standalone entity, as opposed to package with other championships. And I think the NCAA is going to do that with women's basketball. I think they're going to do that with baseball. There is a reasonable chance that they could do it with FCS football as well. And that's going to alter how revenue is distributed for those sports. So be prepared and be forward-thinking in uh, how you position yourself for the future because the future that you're preparing for is kind of the past. And things are going to look a lot different in 24 months than they have for the last 24 years. What I don't get, speaking of TV, and I think FCS 
and ESPN the last few years have done a great job because they've gotten the national championship game on network TV. Like, yes, that's a you know, huge boost. Yeah, getting it on ABC as opposed to an ESPN2. They've been getting more Friday night, Saturday playoff games on. It, what, it used to be like a semifinal and the championship were on. Then it finally expanded to both semifinals and the championship was on. Now you're starting to get three, second round games. Three of the quarterfinal games. Now you're getting two second round games. There's a, the one first round. So there are more TV opportunities on cable, but you get the championship on network TV. Mm-hmm. The only question I have, because ABC had the rights and they decided not to go Saturday at 1 to lead into their 4.30 NFL game that was on ABC to right. their 8.30 ABC game, right. they decided to wait to 2 o'clock on an NFL Sunday to do that it. That, that's what I, I don't get because they, they had the whole window to showcase FCS football on Saturday championship. national And, and again, uh, named teams that people at least recognize no matter what you mm-hmm. follow. Then you would lead right into – I guess it was the the Raiders and uh, was it the Chiefs? Raiders Chiefs. Yes. And then you could have did the eight eight thirty eight, but it was at four thirty. And even if you didn't want it to overlap anywhere near, you could have did twelve thirty. You could have did a noon kick. You could have had, but you could have had an all day Saturday showcase of FCS championship and then two NFL games. And why they went to Sun- now? I'm one of the few people, uh, I'm sure in this area that was locked in for non-NFL and watching that. And I'm sure the numbers will still be pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I think they would have been great because there wasn't a whole lot Saturday going on. And I'm sure there was an ACC game or whatever on ABC at 1 o'clock that they thought would be great leading into whatever. But I just felt like that's the only complaint. I, had. I don't want to complain too much because of what I just said. Mm-hmm. Five, six, seven years ago, you really didn't get that many FCS playoff games on TV. Now you had a lot – of FCS playoff games on TV. Yeah, it's definitely changed quite a bit, and I do think there is more TV value in it than there was. So there's a possibility that they could do that too. And so how do you distribute that money? Does that become – is there a tournament unit for each of those sports? Is it put into a different pool? Is there a whole new different calculus by which uh, revenue is distributed? Things are going to change. And putting yourself in a position where you have more quality teams in a marquee sport – which could be football, it could be women's basketball, it could be baseball, Um, putting yourself in in a position where you have more teams in a growing sport in the NCAA, a rapidly growing sport, we got to be honest, in the NCAA uh, landscape, the better off you're going to be. So um, I I, I just, I worry that there are too many leagues around the country that just strictly focus on men's basketball and pour all their resources into men's basketball, and they are going to get left in the dust in two years when all of these other you know conferences and and schools that have focused on more balanced uh more holistic athletic department uh constructs are going to bypass them because they're going to be bringing in way more revenue because their teams in general are more successful but now i guess we should probably focus on socon men's basketball <laughs> saying that like i never want to talk about it. I do want to talk about it a lot and the women's teams as well because that league is getting wild
All right, we're going to take a look at the Southern Conference here in just a second. Standings and thoughts, uh, you know, four games in. Everyone's played four games on the yes. men's side. So we're going to talk about that. Women we're going to talk about as well. They've only a couple have played two, a couple played one. Yep. So still a little bit unknown. But I think some interesting results in both. Before we do that, we're our ETSU podcast. So we will talk ETSU yeah. Furman for a minute. And I do want to talk about that because Furman, to me, had and Sanford's hard to judge right now. We'll do a whole league breakdown in a second because Quest Glover's not played out with an injury, should be back if not this week, but next week, uh, last I heard. So they don't have a full complement of guys yet um, and a key guy. Just in time to come to Johnson City. Well, of course, I, that was the running joke when I was talking to SoCon John, who was here covering the, the Furman ETSU game. I was like, when are you, what are you hearing on Quez? And he's like, ah, I think it's coming next week. I said, I, I'll tell you when it's going to happen. And he looked at me and said, oh, you know? I said, yeah, when he play ETSU, and he laughed. <laughs> so that's exactly when it's going to happen. That's what's going to go. But I thought – the the combination of Bothwell Slauson, who are two fifth year guys that have played a lot of basketball, I thought were going to be battle tested, not afraid of anything. They've been in Freedom Hall when it's been in its loudest and a uh, packed capacity crowd and everything. And I thought the crowd was great. Uh, by the way, Saturday forty one hundred. I thought they made a lot of noise. Yeah. They were ready to go. But Marcus Foster and his, like, three threes or whatever it was there mid-first half just kind of silenced everybody. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was two points off a career day. He did cool off there in the second half. But his 21, clearly the difference uh, in that contest. And I thought the big swing really wasn't his threes. I thought it was when ETSU held Furman for one of 14 from the floor, down 12, Held him one of 14, and it could only get six points back. Yeah. And so that, to me, was the biggest um, hurdle that ETSU couldn't overcome because when they did get a lot of bad shots, they were getting a lot of rebounds. They were going down the other end of the floor and not taking advantage of it. And it was a day to remember for the opposite reasons that you would normally want to remember for Jordan King. It's 34-game, uh, three-point streak. Uh, broken up with an 0 for 9, 0 for 4 day, something I didn't see coming. He had five points, but off from the charity stripe. And, you know, he goes for no field goals. And I mean, thought they did a great job. I mean, Bothwell goes 4 for 14. He was averaging twenty. He was averaging 19.9 points mm-hmm. per contest. He was 21st in the nation. I mean, you hold him, to me, 13, 0 of 7 from 3, 4 of 14. That's about as good a defensive job you can do. Slauson was – Great. He was 16 points on five of six from the floor. He's not particularly a great three-point shooter, but he was two of two from there, four of four from the line. He had seven rebounds, three assists, two steals, two blocks. Yeah. Sold popcorn, whatever else you want to say he did. I mean, he was <laughs> he was great. But I thought the Foster coming up with 21 and King zero were clearly two, two of the biggest difference in the game. And then second chance points, points off turnovers – ETSU ended up getting 16 second-chance points, but most of those were late at one point in time. ETSU was minus 30 in those two combined categories. Furman had 39 point-off turnovers and second-chance points. ETSU's nine, and ETSU at that point were down 22, which is the largest deficit it had been at home Mm -hmm. in nearly a decade. Yes, uh, and they flirted with their largest home loss to Furman ever, which was 24 points, and then finally trimmed it back down uh, to uh, to 14 
which I believe is still the second biggest. And um, it's the points off turnovers and, and, and it's it's live ball turnovers are just absolutely killing this team right now uh, on, on competitively. It's been really, really difficult for them to thrive when you turn the ball over as much as they do. This was the eighth game of the year where they turned the ball over 15 or more times. They did it against Western Carolina on Wednesday. Catamount scored 27 points off 17 turnovers. And Furman scored 22 points off 16 turnovers. I just, you can't continue to let that happen. ETSU, by the way, now two and six when they turn the ball over 15 or more times in a game. That's not not very good, but honestly, probably better than they should be. The, the two is kind of surprising. That was Little Rock and uh, Mars Hill. Um, you know, I just... I look at this team and I I just don't see a team that's in sync right now. I see a team that is discombobulated. I see a team that is, um, I I don't know how to describe it. I I think they're kind of just, there are times where it feels like they're maybe going through the motions a little bit. And uh, this group as a group really needs to rally together and start playing team basketball uh, in order for them to reach the, the level of their collective talent, which I still believe that these players are all very talented basketball players. And getting Josh Taylor back, uh, hopefully this week, uh, would help quite a bit. I don't know how much Brock Jancic's going to be able to play, but getting him back for uh, even you know, 10, 12 minutes a night would probably be pretty helpful as well. Uh, I thought Braden Illick played okay on Saturday. Um, Jeremy Gregory, I know his defense has been a little bit suspect, but I love the effort and the activity and the energy that he brings to games. Uh, and I enjoyed watching him out there. But Illich uh, did okay. Four points, three rebounds, t- played 27 minutes, set some good screens, uh, did some stuff that, that you would ask a true freshman to do, playing way more minutes than you would hope a true freshman would have to play. But uh, that's uh, this is a team that's got some soul-searching to do. And um, I, they, they got to do it quick because going on the road to play at El Cid is a really challenging environment as Chattanooga learned the hard way earlier this year. Yeah, Ed Conroy back at Citadel, and, of course, he gave them the best stretch they've had in the history of the school. It's his third tour. He was a player there, coached 2006 to 2010-2010. Got him a 20-plus win. They won 15 Southern Conference games in 08. That's amazing. And, and that's he got he was at Tulane, two, yeah. right? Yeah. He parlayed that into the Tulane job. And he got fired. Bef- he was good. They found out they were going to fire him before the tournament started, and he got his team to the semifinals. And uh, Tulane could have had some real egg on their faces there. And uh, probably fortunate for them that they lost, and it worked out really nicely for the Citadel because, hey, he was available to go back and get. Yeah, and then he had a uh, – Nice assistant coach run. I believe it was at Minnesota um, uh, for four years with Patino and then went to Vandy with Stackhouse last year, just one year there, and then got the job back at the Citadel. So I, I think it's a great hire. I mean, one, he's a player. He understood it. Two, he's the only coach that's ever taken him to any postseason play. They've still not been to an NCAA tournament. They played in the CIT. They went over 20 games and 15 SoCon wins. And, I mean, that's about as good as uh, – well, that is the best you can do at the Citadel. And nobody's done it better than that. So, I think that'll be challenging for ETSU. Then they get Mercer at home. And let's just take a look at the standings. And there's one lone unbeaten team now. With Sanford playing UNCG Saturday, 
and what was a great game. I turned it on with four minutes to go and watched the last four minutes while doing the postgame show because I can, I can you know, multitask like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a 10-point lead for Sanford, and UNCG actually had a shot to win the game at the horn, didn't get it to go down, and Sanford hangs on. Again, Sanford playing uh, without Quez Glover off to a 4-0 start. Furman, 3-1. UNCG, 3-1. I think those aren't shocking, but here's the one I think that has raised eyebrows is the Catamounts of Western Carolina, 3-1. And And obviously maybe not a shock that they had beaten ETSU, maybe by double digits on the road since they hadn't done it in 30 years. That is a shock. But what they did to Furman, and after seeing Furman in person, and Western, if they hit shots, are going to be tough to beat. But my issue with their game is when they don't hit shots, I don't think they have anything else to rely on. It is a shot-making team, and if they don't make shots, I don't know how many games they're going to win, but right now they're playing hot. They're making shots. They're 3-1 and one right there with UNCG and Furman. Chat's a little bit of a head-scratcher two and two now they lost at uncg the big one's losing at citadel so we'll have to see if that is going to be an ugly loss or citadel just going to be able to beat teams at home right now one and one in socom play if they win a lot you know if they win a lot of games at home you chalk it up to a lot of home but chattanooga two and two a little bit of a shock maybe at two and two and on the flip side western at three and one western is the surprise to me for sure i did not think this team would be quite this hot to start league play, uh, they are a high-volume three-point shooting team, and that, that's going to keep you in games. Some games, it might knock you out. There's going to be a game, probably one out of every seven or eight, that it, it takes you out of because, like you talk about, if they don't hit those three-point shots and don't get into a rhythm and don't knock them down consistently, um, there's not a whole lot else to rely on. They don't necessarily play with the most intense defense, uh, but when the shots are falling... And you get in the other team's head a little bit, you can cause them to make mistakes that allow you to get downhill on them a little bit more uh, in terms of momentum. You can start snowballing those because it's a three and then a turnover, then a three, then a turnover, then a three, then a you know a missed shot, then a defensive rebound, and then there's a quick two, and now suddenly you're on a what an eleven nothing run timeout, and uh, the the coach has to rally his guys. So that that's the sort of team that Western Carolina is. Uh, if the shots are falling at a high percentage, uh, they they get in the other team's head and they rattle them a little bit. And that's what I think, honestly, it kind of happened to Furman. On the road in Cullowee, the Catamounts just kept hitting shots. They wouldn't go away. They didn't fade. And Furman didn't have an answer. The energy just went for the Paladins. Uh, they've kind of ridden a roller coaster. Um, Samford is a very intriguing team because they are 4-0 and without arguably their best player in Quez Glover. Uh, we talked about that kind of on the front end that Quez is probably going to come back next week. Uh, this is a team that is, despite the fact that they lost to the ghost of Martin Methodist College earlier this year, uh, this is a team that is really well positioned to be the front runner in the SOCON. The pack of contenders is not necessarily the pack of contenders we thought it would be, but it is clearly uh, a group that has established itself. There are three teams in my mind, maybe a fourth in Chattanooga if they right the ship uh, after kind of an uneven start. There are three, maybe four teams that can challenge unbeaten Sanford at the top of the conference right now. Well, and 
just to reiterate the shooting of Western Carolina, okay? Let's go over this. 55 points, a loss. They scored 51, a loss. 61, a loss. 55, a loss. 64, a loss. 64, a loss. 47. That's when they had 17 second-half points against UNCG. Mm. A loss. Let's go over the wins. 112. 88, 98, 90, 99, 75, 117, 79, 71, 73. They get to 70, means they're hitting shots. They've won every single game, 70 or more. They have lost every single game where they've not gotten to 70. Yep. And a matter of fact, I think the most points, non-70 was 64. So they've got games in this, you know, 64 and below, Mm -hmm. two, four, six, seven times. So that it's a little bit of a feast. Famine. I think the next four games will be a great test. They've got three road games. They're at Chattanooga, at the Citadel, host Wofford, at Samford. To me, that will be the test for the Catamounts on are they a real contender, are they middle of the pack, or have they pretended early on this year? Mm. Now, I tend to believe, worst-case scenario for them, middle of the pack, and they got a shot. If they go 2-2 two and two in that stretch – and let's say the losses are at Chattanooga, at Sanford. I don't think there's anything to take any thought away from them that they could still be contenders because they're going to get both those teams back at their place. I think Sanford's going to get, obviously, Quez Glover back, already 4-0. Things are setting up nicely for them. Mm-hmm. Furman fell to what we already mentioned, a Western Carolina three-point barrage bombshell. So yes. I think they'll get them at home where Furman is way better in Timmins Arena. So I think they can avenge that loss. And UNCG's doing what they do, play outstanding defense. They held Sanford to under 70, didn't win the game, but that's sort of UNCG – or right, right at 70-68, excuse me. But still, right there – Probably why they didn't the win the game. They didn't that's hold right. them under they didn't, get, they didn't get them to 69 or 67 right. or whatever it would be. So a great opportunity for UNCG to um, – Des Oliver apparently doesn't know I'm doing a podcast right now. We'll call we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll call him back. Oh boy! So, um, uh, I, I think you look at those four, and I think Chad. I think those are the five teams right now. What is Wofford now that they hit the buzzer beater against Mercer, uh, won in blowout fashion last game? What's ETSU? They have the longest SoCon road winning streak at four games dating back to last year. They got a chance yep. to win one against the Citadel, and then they take on a winless Mercer team. They could get to four and two, but what are they? Because they're going to very quickly get a couple of games against Chattanooga. Uh, And I think before that, I think they get Samford, Chat, Mercer, Chat. Mm -hmm. So they'll have a four-game stretch that we'll kind of see what ETSU is made of. And then the Citadel, what are they going to be able to do? Are they going to be able to win home games? Can they get one on the road in Southern Conference at one and three? And then the two and fours, we mentioned one was Mercer. The other one right now, VMI, looks like it's – I don't know looking at their schedule where they could get a win. It would have to be at home, and I don't know against who, but that would either cold shooting so, team. something when the you know when the cadets are back on campus and it's the it's the weird it's the vortex of bizarro bizarro college basketball, which is really all that college basketball is. It's a vortex of every bizarre thing. It's the twilight zone. College basketball is the twilight zone, the place where things that don't seem like they should be are. Uh, things that don't seem real are real. Things that seem real are illusory. Uh, it's it's that kind of place. The tension of, of being and becoming. I don't know, something like that. Uh, Russell Jones, by the way, Western Carolina, um, the win over Mercer is the first time this year that the Catamounts won a game without making 10 or more threes. 
So finding so again, uh, but again, that's they are that is bad news just to for the league. Underscore your point, yeah. Right. That is bad news for the league if they can figure out how to not hit threes and win games. Yeah. They are uh, nine and zero when they make ten or more threes, and they are now one and seven when they make fewer than ten. And uh, Russell Jones Jr., who as of this writing, it hasn't been published yet. It's embargoed, so I haven't seen it. Uh, I would not be the least bit shocked if he was a SoCon Player of the Week based on his performance against the Bucks, and certainly adding four more threes and twenty three more points against the Bears. Uh, to uh, to lift that team in a blowout win, I would say, yeah, that's that's probably they probably got the player of the week. They're riding high. They're three and one. They're knocking down threes with uh, a plum. Uh, this group is going to be very interesting to watch. And the other element of it with shooting focused teams. And when we say shooting, we mean jump shooting focused teams and jump shots are obviously, you know, less reliable percentage wise, but they're worth more than layups are typically. Um, the challenge with that is w- what if you hit a protracted shooting slump, like multiple games, not just a half or a game, multiple games over the course of a season. Uh, how long does that drought last? And how many games do you lose as a result? Could Western Carolina start out six and one and then be, you know, eight and eight going into the final weekend? I don't think that's entirely out of the question. Games Wednesday, ETSU we know is at Citadel. Furman is at Mercer VMI hosts UNCG. And then I think a couple interesting ones. Western Carolina goes to Chattanooga. I mentioned Western Stretch coming up. And then Sanford and Wofford. Let's see what Wofford can do. Trying to figure it out. No, Jay McCauley, uh, obviously officially resigned. We'll see. You know, they've got a buzzer beater against Mercer. Uh, had a blowout win last time out, so they've got an opportunity to make it three in a row. For Sanford, do they keep it rolling? Saturday, I think a couple interesting games. Western at Citadel may not, you know, I, I pop people's <laughs> college basketball. Like, hey, i got to tune that in. But I'll be real curious to see, again, if Citadel's just going to be a tough out at home uh, and then Western, how they're going to be able to shoot back-to-back road games. And depending on what they do at chat, will they be trying to avoid a two game slide or will they be riding a super high Chattanooga and then maybe not give it, which sounds weird, but not give as much thought into the Citadel. And then the other game, well, there's two other games. The other kind of big games everyone probably would have circled is UNCG at Furman, and then ESPNU at 6 p.m. Saturday is Sanford hosting Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. So we're going to learn a lot about, I think, UNCG and Furman. We'll learn a lot about Chat and Sanford. The next star game of the week on Saturday, second half of our doubleheader Saturday in Freedom Hall, which is Mercer ETSU, and in VMI Wofford, which, again, if Wofford's able to knock off Sanford, they come home, they could maybe make it four in a row against VMI. So excited for sort of how the league's going to play out this week. Now let's turn our attention uh, I'm going to mark the time here. Let's turn our attention to the women's side of things. And I think the number one thing you have to talk about was the fact that Mercer, A, lost to Anderson College before oh. league play, and then followed it up. That was a home loss. And followed up with a home loss to UNCG. They did manage to beat Western Carolina, but let's be honest. That's, West- that, th- that, that bar is on the floor. So – you look at that, and Mercer at 101. Sanford picked up a couple of wins against UNCG, against Western Carolina. Wofford won the rivalry game against Furman. Obviously, Chattanooga knocked off ETSU. So there's not a lot to look at right this second. 
Um, the three best teams non-conference record-wise was Wofford, ETSU, and I believe Chattanooga uh, were the three teams that had winning records. And so far, Wofford and Chat won another one, the rivalry game, ETSU 0-1. Mm-hmm. So it's a little tough right now, but Mercer's the one where, like, bells and whistles are blowing off because that was the only thing I thought I knew about Southern Conference women's basketball going into the year was it was Mercer and everybody else. But Mercer's got some issues, evidently. I Honestly, after what we saw on uh, on on Thursday last week, I kind of wonder if Chattanooga's not in this mix. Uh, Yaz Waziradeen was phenomenal and just knocking down all sorts of shots with all sorts of confidence. Cornelius came off the bench. It sounded like she hadn't been feeling super great. So there's a couple games now that she's come off the bench uh, for them and played limited minutes, but still was excellent rebounding the ball, protecting the rim, um, they've got, I, I think they've got plenty. They've got enough players to really make teams sweat down the stretch and ETSU held them to 53. So, um, I, I like their chances. Uh, I think it's a very good team. I think ETSU is not that, not nearly as far away from the top of the SOCON as we thought they could be at the beginning of the season. And I also don't think the SOCON is necessarily, uh, as high of a hurdle to clear, as maybe we thought it would be at the start of the season. This has been uh, a really fascinating start to the year. And a Samford with uh, Cornoyer and, and some of the other players that they've got going, uh, that's a group that is really tough at home. They've been really, really challenging at home. They played their first two SOCON games um, at home. They they beat Western Carolina by 12, uh-oh, and they beat UNCG by 10, uh-oh. Now they go on the road to Chattanooga. I'm, I'm very curious to see what they do on the road on Thursday. Uh, and then, of course, Saturday they come here to Freedom Hall as part of the doubleheader. That is a team, I, I, I don't know. That one strikes me as a little bit of a, a paper tiger, if you will, uh, just from that that start, that 2-0 start to SoCon play. And I, I would keep an eye on Wofford. I would keep an eye on Chattanooga. And I would keep an eye on ETSU because I think those teams are are your potential disruptors, your noisemakers uh, in the middle of the pack and the upper middle of the pack in uh, the Southern Conference this year. And may- maybe that is, you know, between Sanford, Wofford, Chattanooga, Mercer, ETSU, I, that might end up being your top five right there in some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, I feel like all of those teams have the ability to win significant numbers of games in this conference. I think, uh, and I love the take on Sanford and what, we're going to see with the two games, Chattanooga, ETSU. UNCG didn't have a particularly – it was an okay non-conference, right? They, you know, I thought maybe they would be going off last year down some. Um, I think a lot of people did, yeah. And now you're looking – they got a great opportunity against Furman on Thursday and then Wofford Saturday on at home to kind of see. So where's Wofford in the standings? Where Sanford is good as a two and zero start is Chattanooga and ETSU for real against the the two teams Mercer Sanford did Mercer need a wake up call was that the wake up call that they got after back to back losses do they right the ship they've been very good on the road and we'll see them Thursday mm-hmm. but then they got to go to the Roundhouse on Saturday and you know what's UNCG so a lot more I, I think the men's take a little more shape because just number of games played you know you've got at right. least four games. 
And on the women's side, every man uh, men's team has played four games. On the women's side, there's a couple. You know, half the field's played four, half has played one. I'm sorry, two and one. Two for half the field for the women, one for the other half of the field. Right. Then that's going to rotate. There'll be everybody will play two games this week. Then the next week, the ones that play two will play one, and then we'll. Uh, so we'll get we'll get there. Right. We'll and, get to where we need to get, and eventually we'll get to 14 games. And we'll see what it is. And definitely about 14 games, I will know what's going on in the league. I got pure confidence. Yeah. I can break that you, down. UNCG for you. schedules weird. I mean, they played they played three non counters. They played uh, Guilford. Uh, I, I say call them non counters. They count for the D one team. They don't count for the non D one. But uh, they played Guilford. They and won- for the NCAA selection committee, they don't count. So. Right. Uh, they played Guilford and won by twenty six. They played uh, the Vol Dragons, which came to Johnson City, and they won that game by one hundred and five. And they beat Lenore Ryan by eight. I mean, how much do you learn from that? They lost to Kentucky by, what, 26. They lost to Florida by 24. It's kind of what you expect, right, from NCAA tournament caliber uh, SEC teams, which I think Kentucky and Florida both have. Kentucky, definitely. Florida has a, a reasonable shot of, of getting in as an at-large as well. Um, yeah, but they, they got, you know, you look at the mid-majors too. They got blown out by Davidson. Um they lost by 19 at Elon. Or no, I'm sorry. They lost by uh, 17 at Elon. Uh, they lost by 13 at home to Presbyterian. You know, it's just been a very uneven team. And so that might be a group that rides the roller coaster a little bit. We're going to learn a lot about them. Uh, Furman and Wofford this weekend. I think those are teams that will test them uh, coming up. So we'll see how well UNCG holds up over the course of, of SoCon play. That is a team I have my eye on. I'm very curious about. Us uh, all pod. That's it. We did it all. That's all we got today. Oh, cool. ETSU on the road, Citadel Wednesday. Men's basketball coverage, 6.30, 7 o'clock. We'll have another show this week. We'll probably do it on Thursday, recap the Wednesday game. Then we'll preview the women's games this weekend. Mercer Sanford. We'll also talk about ETSU and Mercer. So we'll talk a little more specific ETSU stuff on Thursday. I got to travel on Wednesday. There's a game down Charleston. Yep. I don't think I can just like teleport down there yet. No, but you could call in. And we can do the pod that way. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can do that. We can do the via phone. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You know how we are. Right, or maybe you don't know how we are, but we are back. We are back. A lot of people ask, man, when are you doing the pod again? That's what we did on Friday. I said, are you serious? Yeah, and then here we are. I said, yeah. It was Jay and Keith on the Buccaneer Sports Network. How about those Detroit Lions? Oh, you got to be kidding me.